Welcome to the Politics of Everything. I'm Amber Danes, your host and podcast producer. This is a half hour of power, a podcast dropping every week where I unpack the politics of everything, from money to motherhood, nutrition to narcissism, startups to secularism, the environment, quality, and much, much more. Our guests are seasoned in the field or topic of their choice, even if you've not heard of them yet. This is a non-partisan show. So while I love exploring varied views and get a buzz from a healthy debate of ideas, this is not a purely blue, white, green program. Please subscribe, tune in and enjoy the politics of everything. Content creation is often the heart and soul of any modern business and its brand. My guest today, Mel Daniels, is a content strategist and speaker who loves to understand why. Even past her toddler years, she's always asked why. She wanted to understand why things worked like they did, why people acted a certain way, and why she was the only one who loved peanut butter and sultana sandwiches. Her curiosity has led her on an interesting life journey from academic achiever to corporate leader, mum extraordinaire, and now business owner. Mel's purpose is to teach and empower women who want more from their business on how to use content in a powerful way. She gives them confidence they need to become more visible, seen as the expert that they are, and inspired to take their business to the next level. When she's not talking about content and client journeys, you'll find Mel cheering on her clients from the sidelines. Her other favorite hangouts are the kitchen and gym, and luckily her love of deadlifting counteracts the amount of baking she consumes, kind of. She's a content creation leader with a finger on the socials and someone who can definitely help us all shine online. So I warmly welcome Mel to the politics of everything. Thank you so much for having me, Amber. It's such a pleasure to be here. Podcasting remotely can be challenging, but it doesn't have to be. Since day one of the politics of everything, I have relied on Zencaster's all-in-one solution to make the process quick and painless, the way it should be for those of us who just love great content and want to get our ideas out into the world. If you know me, I'm obsessed with quality in terms of my guests, my sound, and everything about my show has to be great the first time. I'm time poor. It's so easy to use Zencaster. I'm not tech savvy and you don't need to be either. There's nothing to download. Just click on the link and off we go. Zencaster is all about making your podcasting experience easy and with everything from local recording to automated post-productions now in their toolkit, you don't have to leave your browser to get that episode done and done fast. I have a special offer for you and I hopefully you can experience what I have with Zencaster. Go to Zencaster.com forward slash pricing and use my VIP code, the politics of everything, all lowercase in one word, to get 30% off your first three months of Zencaster Professional. How good is that? I want you to have the same easy experiences I do for all my podcasting and content needs. It's time to share your story. So this is such a huge topic and, of course, anyone that's not doing their content online obviously needs to because, you know, it's kind of where we all play these days. I'd like to say as an old-school communicator it's not really important to my business but I would actually be lying. But to start (laughs) our conversation today, I'd love to find out what young Mel wanted to be. It sounds like you've had a few kind of incarnations in your career but as a kid did you have a dream? 100% I did, Amber, 100%. It was absolutely to be a teacher. So my year one and also she turned out to be my year two teacher. Mrs. Angus was exactly who I wanted to be when I grew up. Exactly. I just remember the pure love that I felt for this woman and how interesting she made every single day. And my year three teacher then cemented this desire to be a teacher. Shout out to Mr. Chigi. His love was music. And that really spoke to me big time. And I really loved how it was made 
part of our everyday lives. And I really loved going to school. But obviously, like you said, that's not where I ended up. And I don't even remember that moment that it changed. I think I was probably in about year 11 when I was introduced to the subjects like, you know, economics and business studies. And that's kind of where my drive to make lots of money kicked in. So I really... That's not a bad thing. We all need money makes the world go around, as they say. But today we're going to chat a lot more about content creation. And look, you know, having done communication strategies for hundreds of clients in 20 odd years, obviously, similarly, there is a bit of a strategy to content creation. How Mm. do you define or even redefine that for your clients? Because I imagine you've got sort of the people who come in who've never done any of it and they're kind of starting from scratch and then you've got people who've done it and maybe need to kind of recalibrate or it's just not working. So how do you kind of start with people? Yeah, definitely agree with that. Like there's all different stages, but content creation definitely starts with strategy 100%. But I guess the thing with that, though, is a lot of people don't even think about strategy as being that first thing. So there's a difference between strategy and tactics. And I think that a lot of people get these two things confused. And you probably see this as well, Amber, that a strategy isn't really about how many times you post on Instagram a week or Facebook a week. It will definitely drive that decision, but it's actually more around the doing, the tactics and more the doing. So the strategy takes that step back from the doing and really sets your overall vision or intention, if you like, for your content. I'm really big on this. I love an intention. So many people really approach that content strategy from a transactional perspective, but I'm more about the relationship perspective and how that really fits in with your time, your energy and your resources as well. So content strategy can be as big or as little as you want, but there's definitely some things that you have to include in there. And that doesn't matter whether you're starting out or whether you've been in business for a while. Strategy should always have a look at key things. And those key things are around things like your vision, your objectives, understanding your ideal client, uh, doing a little audit to see what you love and what's working well. It's about mapping your client journey, really understanding, you know, how you take them from not knowing anything about you all the way through to becoming that raving fan and making sure that we're tracking it. So, you know, making sure that we're actually on top of what's working and what's not. And so that's how I think of content strategy, that overarching or intention or idea that will really help you become more purposeful and powerful with your content creation. I think that's the key, being purposeful and powerful. Absolutely. No, I love that. And I think it's a really clear way you have described it because it can get a little bit confusing, particularly if this is a new space for you and you just don't know where to start. So how can we become better at helping ourselves achieve that holy grail of content engagement? Is it, like you say, frequency or this kind of content pillar thing, which I hear people talking about all the time? And I have to admit, I've tried it and it doesn't always work. Yeah. Now, engagement's such a tough one, isn't it? So generally speaking with engagement, we're really at the mercy of the platforms that we play on. So that's the algorithms of the social media platforms. It's, you know, um, the email marketing platforms, whether our emails actually get delivered to people. And, you know, there's such so many different factors that go into determining who even sees our content. (laughs) You know, if you think about it, there's things like the time of day, the day of the week, how engaged our last post was, how many hashtags we've used, the hashtags themselves. Like I could go on and on and on and on. There's so many different components to a piece of content and whether someone sees it or not. And like even with our emails, if you think about it, we're 
at the mercy of our emails even being delivered to our subscribers in the first place. But then secondly, we have to make sure that it doesn't get lost in the hundreds of other emails people receive every day. So engagement can be a difficult beast to attack. And we were talking before we came on air, Amber, about, you know, we can't control those things around us, but we can control uh, what's within us and what we do ourselves. So having said that and knowing that, there's a few things that we can control. And when we're thinking about engagement and content that's doing its job, it's really about knowing exactly who you're speaking to, knowing your audience. So understanding what they're thinking, they're feeling and they're doing at each of that stage of the client journey with you and actually knowing the fact that there is a client journey. And what I was going to of- say, like for most of us, that doesn't doesn't always equate. And look, I've heard like just to push into this a little bit more, it's, you know, people say, oh, they've got to hear from you so much before they buy one thing. But sometimes I actually get really sick of hearing from people all the time. Like there's people that I follow that I kind of feel like I want to mute because I know what they're doing and I feel like, yeah, that's interesting, but isn't that just what you told me yesterday but packaged differently and you kind of know where it's leading. So can you kind of unpack for us what kind of works, generally speaking? Okay, so if we think about that example that you just gave us, that sometimes you don't want to hear from that person all the time, clearly they do not understand you as a person and either you're not their ideal client, you're never ever going to buy from them, or they're just speaking to you in the wrong way. So if we think about that client journey, so how do we take someone from not knowing anything about us all the way through to becoming that raving, that paying client of yours? There's different phases that we need to make sure that we're taking them through and we need to make sure that we're actually creating content at each of those phases that really meets them where they are and what they need from us right now. So that's where that whole, you know, you feel like you're being bombarded with content is not working. It's not working for you and it's not working for them. And it might be my personality, let's be honest. I'm sort of, you know, I think time poor and at a stage of life where I'm just, I want more mute buttons and I do want more platforms and I'm not online all day, every day, maybe like, you know, the generation below me could be. I think the other thing I struggle with sometimes is that idea of like, do you have to post every day? Do you have to have something new to say? Do you repurpose what you've got? Like how how many times can you reinvent the wheel? And I think particularly for businesses who might only have one or two products or services to offer. Can you so the question is can you reinvent the wheel? Absolutely. Yeah, like do you can repurpose content. So what I'm thinking is like yeah. assuming that people are, haven't seen everything like you know, the, the who am I kind of podcast, you know, post, which everyone does about here's a fun fact about me, you know, and those sorts of things. Like can you repurpose that information again and again like six months' time because you can't assume that people saw it six months ago or do you all the time have to come up with something new? A hundred percent. A hundred percent you can repurpose. I, I love to use the word reimagine <laughs> instead of repurpose or reuse because I think they're so boring. If we can reimagine our content and really be excited about the different possibilities that one piece of content could, could create for us. So I really teach um, people to approach content from a looking at your core content first. So that's one big meaty piece of content that's binge worthy. It's a blog, it's a podcast, it's a video. Picking one of those And then using the power of reimagination to really keep that content going in so many different ways. And I can give you an example if you like, Amber. Sure. Love an example. Awesome. (laughs) Okay. So 
as an example, I write a blog uh, every couple of weeks. And so if I wrote a blog that was entitled something like five reasons your content is missing the mark, then I can reimagine this across any platforms I play on, absolutely any platforms. So I could create a post promoting people to actually go and read it. I could create a post on each of the five different reasons. So I might come up with those five reasons and whatever that first one is, I'll create a post around that and around the second one. So that's another five posts I could do. I could create a carousel post with the five reasons. I could create a short video and share it as a reel on Instagram or TikTok or YouTube shorts. I could go live, talk about it. I could use a quote from it to promote discussion and I could even create a few questions around it. So things like, I might say, uh, what do you think makes content worthy of stopping the scroll and ask that of my audience to get some engagement engagement mm. back. So really I could go on all day. <laughs> no, it's good. And I think the engagement piece is the bit that I struggle with because I think sometimes, you know, you go live and there's no one there. <laughs> this is the worst case scenario, right? Or you go live and it's the same people that already know and love you and they're not going to buy anything new from you. Like it's kind of an interesting use of your time, if that makes sense, to understand how that's going to work. And some people I know will just keep showing up. They do weekly lives and they might have five people. Yes. And I guess the the thing with that as well is to know that people come back and watch it as well. And Mm. even when we think people aren't watching or listening or taking notice to us, Amber, they are. The number of times that I have had clients come to me or have had members in my membership people that I've never seen or heard of before, but they've been watching. They've been watching on socials and they've been absorbing. They've been going to free trainings and that's how they've become my clients. So yeah, I would say don't give up. Yeah, that's a great, great kind of, I guess, message for us because it can be very disheartening when you feel like there's an audience of none uh, out there. But like you say, you never know, people might watch that later or at least recommend you to someone as well. So what are some of the main mistakes that you see when content doesn't land? Like what are the things that Mm. make content not work? And I know it's very hard because you're going to obviously have all different clients and all types of brand personalities, if you like, but are there some main things which you see and you go, oh, that should not be happening? Yeah, I would definitely say that if you think of your own personal experience of consuming content, what actually makes you stop, what makes you keep scrolling, what makes you listen to a podcast episode to the end, it's really in line with your values, your hopes, your dreams, your desires, then it's really going to land with that person. So for me, I feel like if you don't know your audience, if you don't know who you're speaking to, that's probably one of the biggest mistakes. And I guess the other biggest mistake that I see is people not being themselves and not sharing that beautiful uniqueness with the world as well. So really hiding behind some sort of facade. So I don't mean here that you need to share absolutely every single aspect of your life (laughs) unless of course you want to (laughs) and that's what your audience wants to see but what I'm talking about here is when you are pretending to be something or someone you're not whether that's consciously or unconsciously because it can happen both ways then it's not going to resonate with your audience you're not going to give them that opportunity to really understand who you are and what you stand for and what you believe in and how you can actually impact their lives in a positive way. So when we bring more of you, you to your content, that's really where you're going to get more traction. So that's probably the biggest mistake I see, um, Mm. hiding behind a facade, whether consciously or unconsciously. 
And it's hard to know, isn't it? Because you always want to put your best foot forward, particularly things like video. I think people feel like it all has to be pretty polished. And I know my brand is like that because that's what I do for a living. I do media mm-hmm. training. I help people do that. I'm not going to be in my active wear walking through the forest talking about <laughs> something because that's not my brand. But I know for some people they like those videos. I must admit I don't love them, but that just must be, I mustn't be those people's audiences. Exactly. You know? Exactly. And that's the and that's the thing about thinking about content and main mistakes as well. There's not one mistake that everyone makes. It just really depends on who you are as a person and your audience. And they're the two main things. The who and the you, I say. The who and the you. Yeah, the who and the you is good. Um, some of the tech stuff that you think will help us make our content generation and posting less of a chore, because not everyone is going to be available at eight o'clock, twelve o'clock, and three o'clock every day to post. <laughs> There's probably scheduling tools, but are there other things of kind of can make us you know, a little bit more seamless in our content production. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I love that idea of you being um, awake at 3am and posting. Yeah. Um, I mean, I reckon there's there's people like my teenage son's in year nine, but there's probably kids a little bit older than him that probably would. But yeah, not not for me. Probably. So when it comes to content creation, I really look at it from two main perspectives. There's the ideation, where do our ideas come from and the publishing, how do we actually get it out into the world in front of the people who need to see and hear us. So the ideation side of it, there's like so many different sources that we can look for ideas for our content. We can search on Amazon for book titles and get ideas. Same with podcast episodes. We can use Google in tricky ways. We can use free paid search sources things like Answer the Public and Uber Suggest. I don't know whether people have heard of those. And now with the increase in popularity of AI, and I know that you had a guest on recently, Amber, talking about ChatGPT, which was amazing. But with AI, we now have a myriad of resources and ideas at our disposal. Really super, super easy. But my best suggestion here is really invest the time to get the ideas out of your head and onto that paper or digital format so Mm. that you're really eliminating that first hurdle of content creation, which is always, I don't know what to talk about. (laughs) So, And and is it like having a bit of a planner as well, like a 30-day planner or something? So, yes. Is that helpful? it, It can be helpful, but once again, we need to be really careful here because Um, We are all different content creator archetypes. The planning is just my cup of tea. I love it. I'm a planner. I love to schedule. I love to be organized. I love to be in control. But there's those free spirits out there, Amber, who just love to create content in the moment and when they feel like they're in the flow. So doing batching or publishing or scheduling is just like their idea of hell. I'm, (laughs) I'm a planner and I have to admit, like I... When I'm in the zone of something, I don't think about content in that way. Does that make sense? So I would never just really show up to a client's office and then just go live and go, look, I'm about to do some presentation skills. Like it just wouldn't work for Mm -hmm. me because Mm -hmm. I guess first and foremost is my delivery of my service at a top level and that just feels like a chore and also a little bit cringeworthy for me, if that makes sense. A hundred percent. So for you, because you love to be organized and you love to plan, then getting it out into the world, you're just going to use things like schedulers. So there's a a native scheduler inside Meta Business Suite that you can use for Instagram, Facebook. Cheap, it's free (laughs) and the easiest way to get your um, content out there. But there's other paid solutions um, and to actually be able to schedule your content as well. So yeah, tech is definitely your friend. Absolutely. No, I love that. 
talking about tech, there's also mm. new tools and platforms coming out all the time. Mm. I have to admit, I have been very slow and reluctant to jump onto this Threads bandwagon. Kind of reminds me when everyone talked about ChatGPT when it first came out, and I was like, oh, I'm going to wait because I just feel like I need to see what's going to happen, and you know, I don't want to just do the bright shiny object thing. Mm. But I know from people that I've spoken to in my networking groups and so forth, they've also discussed that you know, Threads have kind of changed a lot of the algorithms and the way in which social media content is kind of playing out. So, for example, Instagram, people are saying they're generally not getting as, as much, you know, engagement, if you like, or traction because of threads. And I'm kind of a bit baffled by that. But is mm-hmm. there a way in which we can sort of navigate this platform to understand, I guess, where it's going to work and maybe what some of the drawbacks are? Yeah. So like you said, there's always going to be new tools thrown at us. <laughs> some will stay, some will fade into the distance, but I always look at it as an opportunity, an opportunity to try something and test something to see if it's actually something that you like, whether it's something that you want to even pursue and play on, whether it's something that your audience actually uses or likes to interact with and whether it's sustainable. And I think that this is a really huge thing. And this is where the biggest misconception comes in, that a new tool or a new platform doesn't have to equal more content to be created. So we just kind of mentioned about reimagination and the power of reimagination. And the way that I'll be approaching threads is uh, using that ability to reimagine my core content by simply asking questions. And once again, using tech, using AI to actually help me come up with those questions that I can share on threads as well. So I want people to think about it as an opportunity to try to test. The minute that we start thinking about the shoulds, I should be on threads, I should be posting every day, I should be more funny, I should be more witty, (laughs) that's where we're going to step into overwhelm. Mm. So we just need to make sure that we take a breath and we get to choose and it is a choice whether we are going to utilise this tool and um, but we get think- FOMO, don't we? Don't we all kind of because people go, oh, I'm not, and I saw these posts and it was sort of like, oh my goodness, like is this where we're at? Where people like literally putting on LinkedIn, I've just joined Threads. I'm like, oh my goodness, are we back to the bit where we take a photo of our baguette <laughs> on Facebook and go, here I am? Like, it didn't feel like it felt like people just wanted people to know that they're first. Yes, absolutely. And I think that that's human nature, isn't it, Amber? Like there will always be a part of that. But when we think about how we're going to use content and think about using it in a powerful way, that's understanding who we're speaking to, being conscious of that human that's consuming our content, I'm really being mindful and honouring the you part of it as well. Then yeah. that's when pow- our content is going to be most powerful. And are you using threads? Can I ask? Can we get personal? (laughs) We can get personal. Uh, So I'm one of those people who, like you, likes to kind of stand back and watch things unfold. And the threads unfolding was an absolutely amazing experiment in human and social interaction, can I just say. Um, (laughs) In what way? Like what what, what do you take from that? I mean, I saw it from a really I'm hovering, watching down, not really playing in the the sandpit with it sort of way. Yeah, so I think that it has changed. It's only been around um, at the time of recording for probably about a month. Uh, The first week was all about being super witty, being super funny, being, you know, trying to stand out, being that most popular person. And now it's kind of moved into a more promotional side of things where people are starting to promote what they have. 
kind of sometimes in a bit of an underhand way and not being really open about it, but, you know, it's it's still there. And I think that it's still yet to change as well. I feel as though there's a real opportunity here with Threads, and especially if your audience is like this, to have conversations, like to have real conversations with people, not just superfluous conversations. So something that's really meaningful and that you can create relationships with. And I think that that's how I will be using it because that's what I'm all about, creating relationships. Yeah, absolutely. I like the idea of it. I'm just not not sure I need to add another another thing into my day. I think that's where my, my head goes as well. Just how and much I, can you do? Yeah, and I think that that's brilliant that you have identified that because, yeah, you don't have to be on it. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, what is your favourite content example? Is there a gold star standard <laughs> example that's yep. for you? Of course, it would be different for everyone. Could be small brand, could be large brand, it could be a not-for-profit, I'm not sure. And give us the why because you are the why person. That was part of your intro. I am the why person, yes. I love to know why. So, And that's why I think my answer to this question is probably going to be more around strategy. So gold star content to me is really content that's set out to achieve something and actually achieves it and actually takes you on that journey. So, you know, you're, you're learning, you're finding more out about that brand, you're seeing yourself in the possibility of buying or working with them. And it's just not about being constantly sold to it. Once again, it's that human, humanistic side of their account. So that means I'm typically drawn to personal brands. And there's two Aussie women uh, personal brands that I think that do this really well, and that's Emma McQueen and Suze Chadwick. I think that they are amazing at really piecing everything together using the whole content ecosystem. You know, their website, their podcast, their socials, their emails, they all work together with purpose and strategy. And, you know, most people wouldn't necessarily see that strategic side of what they're doing, but I see it and I think that it's really clever combined with a really beautiful message on what they stand for as business coaches. So, yeah, it's not a particular um, one piece of content for me. It's that strategy that I love to see. Holistic, yeah. Working in action. Best piece of advice you've ever been given and why? (laughs) Um, This is probably really specific to business and that is that a niche is not forever. So once again, we're talking about our ideal client and audiences and really understanding, you know, that, so many people get really hung up on wanting to make sure that we make that right decision about who we're here to serve, whereas you can just jump in and test it. Like it's not set in stone. You can really just um, be quite fluid with it. So that's probably the best advice I've ever been given. Niche is not forever. I do like that. And just on that, and like it links back to content. Does that mean that just because you've done something that certain way and it's worked for a while that you should probably change it up as well? Like just when it stops kind of building for you or do you think people should just kind of if they find something that works even if it doesn't mean exponential growth in terms of engagement and followers for example online that they should still keep going I guess that's kind of where I'm headed with this. So it's really interesting isn't it that once something is working really well for us it can get boring and we can want to change it but sometimes that's not the best decision. So perhaps if you're feeling itchy feet and you're feeling like you want to do something a little bit differently maybe sticking with what you've got if you're if it's working well but adding something to it I always think you know just add that little something. So for me at the moment I'm adding those couple of questions on threads. So that's what I will be doing. So I don't necessarily think that you should change everything and totally reinvent the wheel but yeah just tweak something instead. Keep it interesting. 
Excellent. Well, that's great. I love that. And of course, if we spoke in a year's time, do you have a, a number one goal? And it could be a really big goal and it could be business or it could be a really small goal and it could be very personal. And why that goal? I do have a goal, Amber, and it's going to scare me to put it out in the world now. But That's why um, I do this. <laughs> I know, thank you so much. <laughs> it's to have my book published. So without a doubt, that's what I would love to have happened in a year's time. I have currently finished my first draft and it's a big piece of content and it's just really, I really love for it to be out in the world because it's so intrinsically connected to who I am as a person and so in line with my purpose and my vision to really empower and teach women to use content powerfully. And yeah, so that's my my goal for a year's time. Check Excellent. I will do. So final takeaway message for us on the politics of content creation. Oh, this is a really hard question to answer, Amber, because I feel like there's so much that I want to say, but I would probably say forget trying to beat the algorithms, forget trying to implement, you know, hashtag all the things that all the experts out there are telling you to do, just be yourself. Be yourself because when you're trying to be someone else or someone who you think you need to be, that's really hard work. When you do you and give that gift of serving others as that beautiful, unique individual that you are, then that's where the gold lies, I think. I think that's been a fantastic way to wrap up our conversation. Of course, if you want to find out more about Mel and what she does, there are details on the show notes. Until next time, take care. Thanks so much for listening today. If you've enjoyed the politics of everything, I thrive on your feedback. So please add a short review and share the podcast with your network through Apple, Spotify and all the usual suspects. I'm always on the hunt for new and diverse guests. So if you or someone you know has a fresh idea you're busting to get out there, please email me at amber at amberdanes.com and my crew will get back to you very soon.